0: This episode is sponsored by Zengo. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk
2: Podcast Network.
0: Hey, folks. Welcome to The Hash. Says so right there. You're watching Coindesk TV. It's The Hash. It's me, Zach Seward. It's Will Foxley. It's Jensen Assey. We have to know. This is what's going on. It's great. It's a happy Wednesday. There was some crazy stuff in DeFi on a Tuesday night. I hope you guys got to tune in for that because it was a wild one. Will's going to give us the details and kick us off on our show today. Will, take it. This brought me back to
1: DeFi summer 2020. Another hack, another day, late night, right? $100 million was drained from Mango Markets, which is one of the largest marketplaces or exchanges on top of Solana. This exchange is well-known by a lot of traders who you know, flipped tokens during the Solana pump last year, but now they're having some problems after a very illiquid token, their actual native token, the Mango token, was used to rug pull $100 million out of the protocol in essentially a very fair way of just using the protocol's own rules against itself. Essentially, they used two tokens. They used USDC, Stablecoin, and then the Mango token itself. They pumped up the price of Mango token, which was trading about two cents to 90 cents. Then they used that token allocation, that 90 cents of the Mango token, to go and take a loan out from the Mango Dex itself. And then when the price of that token went back down to two cents, they ended up with a huge bag from this loan. And the loan got liquidated and they ended up with about $100 million. So pretty sophisticated hack. These things can happen because DEXs are built within parameters. Typical order book on a centralized exchange. You want to be able to do this because there's people watching over it. Things move a lot more quickly, a little bit harder to do it. But with the deck, you can do these things because everything is supposed to be pre-programmed into how the computation works on the front end. And if you really know how to use these things correctly, you can get around them and end up with a nice windfall. As of right now, we have some more information. Seems that there's some sort of like bug bounty thing going on, but maybe it's not a bug bounty. There's a DAO involved. The after effects of this, as they always are, are getting a little bit weird. Zach, I'll kick it over to you for
0: your take. All is fair in love, war, and DeFi. That's what this is all about. (laughs) This is some crazy stuff. These are big dollar numbers, but like check me if I'm wrong here, but this was all within the parameters of the smart contract, right? This was something that someone identified as an exploit and they said, hey, I'm gonna do this thing and I'm gonna, ha- and I'm gonna profit handsomely. Now the best part about this, being it being crypto, it being wild as ever, is that the quote unquote hacker started posting in the governance forums of this project, right? And used a significant chunk of the quote unquote stolen tokens to sway a governance vote in his favor. And we saw the co-founder of the protocol chiming in and saying, "Hey," We don't want to get you in trouble with the law. We want to make our users as whole as possible. We want you to handsomely profit. And we want to make sure we can get this behind us in the rear view. So you see these things play out in real time, sort of on-chain and in these uh, social forums. And it just becomes really crazy to watch. Because we're talking about $100 million here. This is not nothing, right? This is significant money. But it's sort of like within the rules of the road in a weird way, right? If code is law, then this guy did not go and break the law, right? He was like, okay, the code here is allowing me to uh, to execute this exploit. I'm going to profit from that. And then you know what? I'm going to sort of make a little dunk on DeFi governance by using some of those gains <laughs> to, to do some DeFi governance. I think that part was the part that really stood out to me. as like, oh, wow, this is some really next level stuff. But I don't know. Curious for Jen's thoughts on this one because it's a bit of a wild one.
3: Zach, my thoughts were exactly the same as yours. I was laughing to myself as I read that this hacker, we don't know if he's a white hat hacker, gray hat hacker or black hat hacker, went and created a proposal that said, I will give the money back if you don't report me to the authorities and then voted a resounding yes. I think you're exactly right that this highlights an issue that we've been talking about in the DAO space for a really, really long time. We talk about this decentralized governance, everyone has a word, there's a level playing field and this hack really highlights that it's not always a level playing field. If you have a lot of money, a lot of tokens, you can be the one who has a say at the end of the day. And I think it's really funny that this hacker was able to highlight that, but we'll pass back to you.
1: Yeah, the story literally has everything right. You got a little Solana plugin, you got a little DeFi hack, brings you back to the good old days of DeFi summer. You got everything operating within the boundaries of the protocol itself, which I think is actually a little bit more interesting, right? A lot of times we see rug pulls or we see hacks and it's really delving into the code and breaking something. But this was just operating with the rules of the road, as Zach put it. And then the last bit with the DAO governance structure here, that is unintended consequences of the governance. On-chain governance has problems. A lot of L1s have figured that out over the years. Shout out to Polkadot back in 2017. Like These things are well known, but we just keep relearning them. Uh, as we go up the chain and up the stack into DeFi circles. We'll see what happens with this one. I mean, I think they'll they'll get a little bit of money. They'll basically be a white hack at the end of the day. For mango markets, the question is, can they recover from this, right? We've seen in Ethereum markets that there has been some teams that have recovered from these things and some teams that have not. Harvest Finance is one that comes to mind. They're one of the largest hacks for DeFi Summer back in 2020 and they got hacked successfully over and over and over again. Till now it's just a meme and nobody's really using the project. On the other hand, some projects come back from these hacks and they can come back from uh, whatever happens when they lose money because they just they figure out a way. They have some resolve and they get through it and everyone forgets about it. Hopefully that's what happens. Mango Market seems to be a very good team. seems to be an unfortunate happening. Uh, throw it over to you, Jen, for our next story, though.
3: Yeah, regardless of the hack, I think the the regulators are watching very closely and the regulators are watching another very prominent web three company closely so according to a report by bloomberg the sec is probing board ape yacht club creator yuga labs over whether the sales of its digital assets violate securities laws so the issue according to a source here is whether or not some of yuga's nfts resemble stocks the sec has reportedly been investigating whether nfts are securities since march and as a part of the probe The SEC is also looking into ApeCoin, which is the governance and utility token of the Ape ecosystem. So a lot going on here, Zach, I'm going to pass it off to you for your initial thoughts of the SEC looking into Yuga Labs.
0: Even the JPEGs aren't safe. Oh, no, this is not good. The SEC Carrie's is looking into everything, including the JPEGs. If you get big enough, you're going to get SEC scrutiny. Maybe that's just the takeaway, right? If you're in DeFi, if you're in pictures of monkeys, maybe that's what the story is here. Uh, SEC says, hey, if you're small enough, we'll let you fly under the radar. But if you make enough noise, then we're going to start looking into you. And I think we've seen them probe quite a few companies in the space, whether it's in the DeFi space again or in the NFT space. And so this may be the rule, not the exception. Maybe this is something that's going on behind the scenes a bit more that that we don't know about. Certainly, SEC seems to be fond of uh, its regulation by enforcement approach. And this would be an opportunity for them to do that in the realm of NFTs, right? Uh, Securities lawyers have long said, hey, just because it's an NFT doesn't mean that some of these things aren't security-like and don't need to be registered with uh, state and federal securities regulators. So this may be the opportunity if this ultimately comes to pass, if this report bears fruit, this may be the opportunity for Gary Gensler's SEC to share their opinions on NFTs that may run afoul of U.S. securities laws. And I think, um, to my knowledge, we haven't yet seen that specifically in the NFT space. So this would be a bit of precedent as they work toward establishing some legal frameworks for what is and is not a digital asset security. But who knows? We'll see if this one comes to pass. There's certainly been reports of you know investigations that have been either quietly settled or have didn't materialize into anything. So I think time will tell as to what this becomes. But I'm gonna toss it to Will. Yeah, I mean to your point about this happening in the past, Coinbase also there's a probe with them,
1: I think, last summer. So we don't really know where these things are going to go. And there's of course the famous Ripple case, which is still going on right now with more litigation. So these, these stories seem to have legs. The one thing I do want to bring up is the fact that the SEC seems to be going for the larger cases, right? Last week, we talked about Kim Kardashian being slapped down with a fine for talking about Ethereum Max, pumping and dumping that token. They really seem to like to go for the headlines. I think they're just overwhelmed by the breadth and depth of the crypto markets, how many tokens are out there, how many people are working on these things. It's so hard to track everyone down. I mean, there are literally thousands upon thousands of token pairs on Uniswap, and anyone can launch an ERC20 token and get a market up and going how can the sec enforce against all these little players well i think they just go for the top they go after the big ones like Kim kardashian they go after yugo labs here which is well known and they'll go after others like ripple or coinbase Uh, they're going for the headline grabbers and then they're going to allow that to set the precedent that seems to be the tactic the sec is going for for yugo labs i have to say like it's sort of a tough look they kind of nailed the bag with nfts right they they had the top performing NFTs for you know a year, and then they went out and threw up this ApeCoin thing, and now they're going to get slapped with a fine, perhaps. We don't quite know what's going on, but at the very least, they're going through a probe, which is expensive to pay all those lawyers. Now, ApeCoin might be useful. I don't think it is particularly, but maybe it's useful to their ecosystem, but you do have to weigh the costs and benefits of these things if you are an entrepreneur in the crypto space. Is it worth your time to launch a token only to get later investigated by the SEC, or would you rather just not launch a token and continue to allow your project to live on with its own economics? Jen, I'll throw it over to you, get your take.
3: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that we're talking about the story now. And in the past few weeks we've been talking about the Mika drafts. And I want to point to the text in one of the final drafts. It's that the issuance of crypto assets as non-fungible tokens in a large series or collection should be considered as an indicator of their fungibility. And so for people who don't know about the Mika draft, this is a legal draft that was developed in the eu to start looking at how to regulate nfts and crypto and when that came out you know we speculated on the show that maybe other regulators are going to to look to this draft to look at where they should start probing and and looking at next and i think that we might see some regulation in the us and north america that follows the draft so we'll just have to wait and see but i kind of agree with that text if there's ten thousand of something in a collection is each one of those really non-fungible? I don't know. It's the first time I've agreed with a regulator on this show.
0: It also gets wow. to you know, are these governance tokens? Or are these just free money? Mm-hmm. Right? Are these tokens by which we can make meaningful, uh, you know, democratic uh, action happen within a community of people who are gathered online, or are they just some way to juice money into the pockets of the project's founders? And I think obviously that's still a bit of an open question. And we see it being used in some governance contexts where it's closer to the tool to exercise your vote, and in others. The governance token, the the governance part of that moniker is a bit misused, right? It's just another token that trades and can be used to make money. So I think that is something that is still going to have to be reckoned with, despite us calling it a governance token. doesn't mean it necessarily functions like that for many of these projects. So interesting stuff. Definitely one to watch. If Yuga gets slapped down by the SEC, that'd be crazy.
2: Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which, until now, has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com slash hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3.0. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how to's from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
0: All right, let's touch on some other stuff. Let's go to FinTech. Let's go to Betterment. Let's go to Robo Advisor Betterment. They're doing cryptocurrency trading stuff, but with a catch. Only 5%. If I'm a Betterment user, I can't put more than 5% of my portfolio into cryptocurrency. What's up with that? I guess it's a risky asset class. That's for sure, as we hear on the hash regularly. But that said, sort of represents the training wheels approach to how a FinTech firm is approaching the cryptocurrency markets. I'm going to toss this one straight to Jen for her initial thoughts on the Betterment news.
3: I love the trading wheels approach. And I don't know, maybe, Will, you're going to go in a totally different direction. I think that if people are using the platform and and they're not sure where to start and how to kind of diversify their investments, this is a great approach. I've said this on the show. People who aren't used to investing and are maybe making an investment or dabbling in crypto for the first time require a lot of information and education. And I think sometimes we take that for granted. And so I think having guardrails and offering up this information that starts to get people thinking about how to diversify the risk, how to look at, at crypto as something that is very much a volatile asset is really smart. And if you want to invest more than 5% of your portfolio in crypto, there are other ways to do it. So I think that this is, this is really cool. And this is something that I've at least been calling for in the industry for a really long time. And so I am a fan. Will, what do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. Don't try to steal a thunder here. I, I like to take on this. I think this is really important <laughs> well, we'll for people agree. to... No, I am agreeing with you. I think that it is good <laughs> that you have these little options to go for, right? We don't need to jump right into the deep end and go into mango markets and get wrecked, right? There's got to be a middle ground here. And that's where a lot of the money is, right? Like last year, we had so many headlines about institutions working with Nidig or institutions working with Coinbase. And why? Well, you want to get some sort of plug-in for Bitcoin into your traditional account. That's where all the money is. Just to be frank, like that's where all the wealth concentration is, is typically in older generations. And if you want Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to go up in price, well, you got to find some sort of integration. And something like Betterman also makes sense, right? someone who's not really used to crypto or maybe knows about it a little bit, but doesn't want to venture into MetaMask land or doesn't want to use an ERC-20 token just log into your normal broker, even a robo advisor, get a little exposure to crypto and keep going. There's no reason to make it super complex for someone who doesn't have a lot of time to look into this. And it's good for adoption as well, right? Like So whenever I see projects or startups within crypto, working with some of these more like firm teams out there, it's all for the better, right? Because then you can actually bring products to market where there is a market already. A lot of times we're trying to build all these markets, we're trying to build mango markets, we're trying to build Uniswap, and these things already exist. We don't necessarily need to do that. Zach, I'll give it to you as we wrap up.
0: All right. All right. Yeah. Optionality is good. And having people with different levels of comfort, that's fine. But why can't we just ape into all the coins? Where's the freedom? I thought this was America. We can't just go <laughs> ape mango. in on Shiba <laughs> or on E-point. my betterment. What the F? That's all I'm saying. No, nah, I'm for real, though. Optionality is cool. And definitely helping people get into the space. In ways that are comfortable to them is also cool. This one to me is sort of a, of that like path to boring that Adam Levine was talking about earlier this week, right? Mm-hmm. Where every fintech app will have some version of crypto trading in a way that suits them, right? And it will just be like one of the boring menu options in your brokerage account or in your robo advisor or in your whatever, whatever. And this to me is another indicator of getting toward that boring state. But hey, that's cool. It's cool to see. All right. That's it for the show today. We're The Hash. I'm Zach. That's Will. That's Jen. We're glad you're here. Thanks for watching us today. Check us out on the Podcast Network if you really want to listen to this one again or check out some past episodes. That's it, folks. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. And yeah, go get them. See you.
3: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network.